0: praying. Appreciate that. And once again, welcome uh, to you all. And we're actually finishing our series today uh, on the series on identity. Next Sunday will be a mission Sunday. And then after that, we're going to go into a series about the Holy Spirit, which I'm really excited for. And I'm really looking forward to what the Holy Spirit is going to do in our lives uh, through that series and in our church as well. And so we've been discussing identity over the last number of weeks, and we've said over and over again that our identity is in Christ. Whether we are forgiven, whether we are children of God, whether we are ambassadors of reconciliation or part of the family of God, it's all because we are in Christ And if you're a guest with us today or you're watching online and and this is your first time and if you don't know what in Christ means we would love to be able to talk with you to share with you about uh, what it is to come to Jesus and experience this new life that he gives to have this experience of being in Christ and invite you as well come out to Alpha and experience what it is to be in Christ and know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Uh, But if we're in Christ, actually what we need to understand is that we are followers of Jesus. As we come to him, as we embrace this new identity that he gives to us as we become children of God, we become followers of Jesus. And it's really critical for us to understand our identity as a follower of Christ, Um, the organization Open Doors, which helps the persecuted church around the world, uh, tells a story of uh, a young woman named Bae, it's not her real name, and her husband who are in North Korea. And they were caught with a Bible. Uh, And because of that, it was discovered that they were Christians. And they were sentenced to a a lifetime of hardship and labor put into what's known as the the hostile class or those that were Christians and supposedly against uh, the government and they were put given different work assignments in a very hostile place. They were moved to a remote village uh, in the mountains and they knew that they would be there their whole life until they died. One time, Bei was able to uh, escape, and she made it all the way over the border of China. And she made contact with the organization Open Doors at one of their safe houses, and she was able to fellowship with some Christians there in China. They gave her food and medicine and even a new Bible. And she could have stayed there and lived free if she wanted to, but she decided that it was better for her to go back to North Korea, back to those secret Christians to help them and support them. And so she went back. Every morning when she would wake up, she would wake up hungry and go out and work in the fields. The, the meager amount of food that was given to her was not enough uh, to satisfy her, her hunger, but really just to keep her alive, uh, but not less to kill her. Um, and so she had just enough food to stay physically, uh, alive she would go into the forest afterwards and collect mushrooms and plants and anything else that she could find to eat Just to satisfy some of that physical hunger that she had but she would wait all the way till the nighttime. and after the darkness came she would sneak out of her house very quietly so that her neighbors wouldn't know and she would go into the forest and she would dig in a certain place where she hid a bag, and she would take that plastic bag and bring it back home just to get back home in time so that her housemates, who were also Christians, had covered the windows with um, blankets and lit a small little candle, and she would open up the plastic bag very quietly and pull out a Bible and begin to read from that Bible. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God and she and her housemates were able to read the word of God and they valued that time she was able miraculously to get a letter to open doors and I want to read you what that letter says she said this we are well and peaceful with with father's grace and your concern we give thanks to the father who is doing almighty works i am so overwhelmed to write you this letter we receive the greatest love and concern which cannot be returned back we live firmly in the suffering march as always whenever i open my eyes in the morning i feel the presence of our father right now we only receive materials from you but we expect the delay to come when we can return back those to god from the perspective of other people our life of suffering must seem like a cursed life However, this suffering is a blessing from our father who allowed it in our life because it is a shortcut to the father. He knows our sufferings and listens to our prayers. We thank our father who has done such great things to prepare life for us. We who receive his amazing grace, keenly realize and understand his words, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the father. That means any life that follows his words is blessed. The thing I give thanks for the most is that our Father uses me to work as his servant. I desire to dedicate my life until death to glorify him. Brother, I have one request. Please send our gratitude and appreciation to, tho- to those who sent these support materials to us. I bow to them with a thankful heart let's stay healthy and fight strongly for a gospelized North Korea. What an amazing follower of Jesus, isn't she? What dedication to follow the Lord in such hard times. A lot of the times here in the West, we think about being a follower of Jesus and maybe have misconceptions or different perceptions of what it is to be a follower. I referenced this book last last week, and I'd like to read another quote from it, Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes. And this is in in a portion, he's talking about the the me generation, the the self-centered generation. And he says this, we sing the beautiful praise chorus, it's all about you, Jesus. Anyone know that song? It's all about you, Jesus. But then he says, who are we kidding? It's all about Jesus, as long as it's in a service I like, in a building I like, with people I like, with music I like, for a length of time that I like. By the way, I have, ni- I have 89 slides this morning. <laughs> you guys okay with that? Good thing I put this quote right at the beginning, right? For a length of time I like, at some point in this generation, at some point in this generation, take up your cross and follow me, change to, Come to Jesus and he'll make your life better. What do you think? Come to Jesus and he'll make your life better? It's a very appealing message. Come to Jesus and he'll solve all your problems? No, Jesus says, Come to him, take up our cross, and follow him. It's not very appealing. There there are people, when Jesus walked on this earth, there are people that walked away from Jesus because of the hard message that that he presented. What is our identity as a follower of Jesus? Unfortunately, because we find identity in so many other people and experiences and in other things, and because we don't root our identity in Christ and as a follower of him, unfortunately, we face a misconception of who it is, who Jesus is, and who we are as his followers. The world and culture today give us a very self-focused view of identity. And I hope that you can see throughout this series that we've been talking about identity, that Jesus wants to give us an other-focused identity, a Jesus-focused identity, an identity that's rooted in Christ when we root our identity in Christ instead of ourselves, we can combat insecurity, anxiety, fear, low self-esteem, pride, failure, self-worth, uh, and, and everything else that we sometimes use to, to value and judge our identity. If we, when we root our identity in something within ourselves, we will find ourselves always battling, failing, struggling, struggling, and and striving for something that we can't attain to. We live in the me generation where everything is about me. My rights, my will, my wishes, my desires. Have you heard anything about that in the news recently? Everyone's fighting for what they want. When what Jesus taught was actually the total opposite. The upside down nature of Jesus's kingdom is totally contrary to the kingdom of this world and the culture of this world. When Peter wanted to fight for Jesus, Jesus told Peter, put your sword away. When when Jesus was in front of Pilate, uh, Jesus told Pilate, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. But my kingdom is not of this world. He taught us to consider others, to bless others, to sacrifice for others, to live for his will and his purpose by taking up our cross and following him. So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? If you say today that you're a follower of Jesus, is it only when everything goes well in your life? Is it only when you don't have to make any sacrifices? Is it only when things work out exactly according to your plan? Or, or as this quote would say, is it, is it only, I can follow Jesus as long as it's in a service I like, in a building I like, with people I like, with music I like, with the length of time I like. If the pastor preaches a little bit too long, I'm finding another church next Sunday. Or if they sing some of those songs again, I'm finding another church next Sunday. Or if they don't any, sing any hymns, forget it, I'm going to another church. Or if they don't sing any choruses, I'm going to another church. Or if they don't have this ministry, well, let me find another place to go. Or if this thing happens, well, I'm not even gonna follow Jesus anymore. Oh, look, look at all those hypocrites. Why should I be a Christian? And there's so many things that we say. We we want it to be comfortable for us. When what Jesus actually said was that if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, you need to take up your cross and follow Jesus. So, So how can we identify with Christ? How can we root our identity in Christ as a follower of Jesus? Let me share with you four things. Find our identity in the cross. It's so important for us. This is not an easy message. Actually, it's quite a difficult message. And I'll be very frank and open with you. It is a difficult message. I find it a difficult message. So many people found it a difficult message. People in Jesus' time found it a difficult message so much so that they walked away from Jesus. said, I can't handle this. This is too hard for me right? It doesn't sound appealing. The cross is hard, splinters, heavy, all of those things. In, in Luke 9 verses 21 to 26, Nashville read it for us in the scripture reading. Jesus predicts his death. He says that he'll be rejected by the people, rejected by the elders, rejected by the leading priests, rejected by the t- uh, teachers of the law, right? Then he will suffer and die and he'll rise again from the third day, on the third day. Then he turns around to the people and says, Yeah, and if you want to follow me, take up your cross. I don't think Jesus went to Marketing 101. I think he missed that course completely. If he was trying to gain people and followers, Jesus, you're doing it the wrong way. Right? This week in our staff meeting, as I was preparing for this message, I I told the staff, I said this, What if I changed things around and said, look, you're going to work 20 hours a day, no vacation, it's going to be very hard, people are going to complain about you, and at the end, you're going to want to leave. But hey, can you buy into the vision of Unionville Alliance Church? That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying here, he tells the people, I'm going to be rejected by everyone. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to suffer It's gonna be painful, it's gonna be hard, it's gonna be difficult. Hey, but you know what? Can you buy into that vision? If you wanna follow me, take your own cross. I mean, my cross is really hard. Take your own cross as well and come and follow me. How many people are gonna follow that? Well, when Jesus was crucified and, and, and died, the Bible says that even his disciples scattered. It's not an easy message. It's not the right marketing plan to get more followers. But it's not about that. It's about speaking the truth of what it means to identify with Christ and to be his follower. Luke 9 verse 23 says, he looked to the crowd, he said, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. Do we stop the moment things start become hard? Do we stop following when things require a sacrifice? Is it only when things work out really well for me that I can, I can follow Jesus? Do we stop when things start to cost us something? What kind of follower of Jesus are we? We need to root ourselves in this identity that we are in Christ. And if we're in Christ, then we are a follower of His. And to be a follower of His, we take up our cross and follow Jesus. Culture in the world around us teach us to find our identity by saving our life. Stand up for your rights. Speak your truth. Fight for what you want. This is what culture around us teaches. But what does Jesus say? He says in verse 24, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Culture in the world around us teaches something completely different. Jesus teaches us the complete opposite. We need to find our identity as followers of Jesus, as people who take up our cross and follow him. This is the paradox of the cross. This is the paradox of Christianity. And it's the paradox of identity as well. That we root ourselves in Christ. We find our truest self, not by seeking to save our life, but actually by giving up our life for the sake of Christ. We find life and identity as we surrender to Jesus. In Luke 14, he says something similar. He says, if you wanna be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else, your father, your mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Sometimes that looks like sacrifice. Sometimes that looks like suffering. Sometimes that looks like hardships. Sometimes, you know, that looks like trials as we actually draw closer to Jesus and find our truest self in him. In Galatians, uh, Paul says this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Paul has taken up his cross to follow Jesus. And he says, I don't live, but now Christ lives within me. This is this true identity, this new identity. All things are passed away. All things are become new. So Paul finds this new identity in Christ. He says, but Christ lives within me. The life I now live in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We take up our cross. We die with Jesus so that Jesus can live through us. We die to our will. We die to our desires. We die to our wishes. We die to our ways. We die to our rights. We, we, we do all of these things to embrace his will, embrace his purpose, embrace his cross for us. We can fight against it if we want, or we can embrace it. We can deny it, or we can accept it. We can, we can seek for acceptance and affirmation and identity in other things, in other people, in other ways, but, we, but if we want to find it in its truest form and in its complete self, it is found in Christ, and this is the way that he has laid out for us to find identity in Christ. In Romans six and verse four, it says, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. We identify with his death and his resurrection and then we live in newness of life. Number two, find identity in the word of God. The world teaches so many things about identity, But one thing that that doesn't change, because identity in the worldly sense, identity in a cultural sense changes from, from year to year, from decade to decade, but identity that is in its truest form in Christ doesn't change because it's rooted and found in God's word. And it's so important for us to find our identity in God's word. Jesus is the word of God. And our identity is in Christ, so therefore it is in the Word. And we've seen in this series a, a number of different ways in which we can see our identity. As a, as a child of God, as fearfully and wonderfully made, as chosen by God, loved by Him, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's chosen people, we've seen that we are forgiven the people of God, a new creation, the temple of God part of the body of christ an ambassador of reconciliation crowned with glory and honor saved by grace saved by his mercy that we are the salt of the world we are the light of the earth we are a stranger and pilgrim in this world we are a citizen of heaven and so much more that we can see in god's word John 8, verse 31 and 32 says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Another translation says, you are my disciples if you abide in my word, abide in the word. But Jesus is the word of God, so we abide in him. In John, these are some familiar verses for some people. It says here, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, we find our identity by abiding in Jesus because our identity is in Christ. Find our identity by abiding in Jesus, abiding in his word, because our identity is in Christ. In in John 15, um, sorry, John 15, verses 3 and 4, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. If we can abide in Jesus, we can find our identity in him. It's when we stray away from Jesus, when we stray away from his presence, that we start seeking identity in other things and in other people and in other other ways. We start looking for affirmation in other things when the Lord actually wants to affirm us when we abide in him. Abide in him and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is the problem in the world today, that truth has become relative, that, that each person can define their own truth. When Jesus says here, I am the way, the truth and the life. And so if we come to him, if we abide in his word, which is truth, we can know the truth and that truth liberates us. Uh, many times people are very insecure and anxious about their own identity because it's uncertain and it's unknown but when we come to the truth of the word of God it liberates us it sets us free it brings such security and confidence and assurance and hope and and purpose and meaning and direction to our life as we come to Christ and abide in him in our culture today, we gain our identity from, from what others say, from standards that, that others present and put before us, uh, from things maybe even within ourselves. But if we would only know and realize and accept and receive God's word and what his word says about us and what, what Jesus says about us, then we can experience true liberty, true freedom as being the children of God whom God has called us to be. Take a look at Peter, for example. Peter was, was transformed just by abiding with Jesus, right? In Acts chapter 4, when after the day of Pentecost and everyone was upset at the disciples and they were doing healings and miracles and the and the Holy Spirit was moving in wonderful ways and thousands of people were coming to experience Jesus as their savior. And so the religious people of the day called Peter and John to talk to them, to scold them, to persecute them. But then it says here in verse 13, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. They didn't have any special training with the scriptures, but they were with the living word of God. They were with Jesus himself, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. They were with Jesus. And because of that, they found meaning and purpose. We find completeness, as Paul says in Colossians, you are complete through your union with Christ. We can find our, the fullness of our identity in Christ. Number three, we, f- we find our identity in God's love. People are looking for love all over the place. People are looking for love and want to feel love, want to feel affirmation, want to feel that sense of belonging all over the place we live in a generation with so much insecurity and so much fear uh, in our lives because of a lack of love but knowing God knowing Jesus helps us to experience that love John 13 says this so now I'm giving you a new commandment love each other just as I have loved you you should love each other your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples See, part of our identity as followers or disciples of Jesus is that we love others. We express the love that we ourselves have received. We receive love from Jesus, and thereby we express that love from others. But the key here first is that we receive that love from God. And unfortunately, many are lost in their identity because they haven't felt, received, or known God's love. And if you're here today and you're in need of God's love, I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit wants to shed the love of God in your hearts today. He wants you to experience and know that awesome, transforming, changing love of God that can do wonders in our life. Unfortunately, sometimes love in the world is looked at in many different ways. And unfortunately, sometimes even people in the world look at the church and look at Christians and see so much discord and division unfortunately because we're not even able to love one another why because we haven't rooted our identity in Christ as followers of Christ and thereby reflect the love of God Sometimes we, we can't even love one another because it goes back to this idea of taking up, taking up our cross and following Jesus. Paul was, was telling the, the church in Corinth there was a problem where, where two believers were, were taking each other to court, to a secular court, and Paul says, isn't there someone in the church that can judge? And then he says, well, even if there isn't, what's the better solution? He says, won't you be defrauded? Isn't it better just, be, just lose out instead of taking your brother to court? That might not make sense to us, but Paul says it's better to be defrauded, just lose out. Take up your cross, follow Jesus, show God's love, even if it costs you something, even if you have to sacrifice something. This is contrary to to the way we think and the way we work. But it's what Paul is talking about as followers of Jesus. If we can't even love one another within the church, within the body of Christ, we can't even get to that next step that God is asking us to get to, which is even to love our enemies. Matthew 5 says, But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. If we can't love our brothers and sisters, forget about loving our enemies. But that's what really sets Christians apart is the love that we can express even to our enemies. But unless we're firmly rooted and grounded in our identity as followers of Christ, how can we even get to this? This past December, there was a police officer in the United States uh, named Richard Houston who was killed in the line of duty. During his funeral service, his 18-year-old daughter gave Such an amazing uh, and powerful eulogy for her dad. And she said this, quote, My prayer is that someday down the road, I get to spend some time with the man who shot my father. Not to scream at him, not to yell at him, not to scold him, simply to tell him about Jesus. Where does she get this? How could she even say this? It's because her life as a follower of Jesus has been transformed by the love of God. She said this her name is Shelby. She said this quote my heart always ached as as she was talking about she heard stories of people that lost loved ones because of shootings and different things and she always felt sympathy and compassion for for those people that had committed the crimes because she wanted them to know about Jesus So she said, my heart always ached for those who don't know Jesus, their actions being a reflection of that. I was always told that I would feel differently if it happened to me, but as it has happened to my own father, I think I still feel the same. There has been anger, sadness, grief, and confusion, and part of me wishes I could despise the man who did this to my father, but I can't get any part of my heart to hate him. All that I can find in myself hoping and praying for is this man to truly know Jesus. This is an 18-year-old young girl who's lost her father but has a wonderful relationship with Jesus that desires others to know that. She said this near the end of her eulogy. said, In my deepest wound, I saw the glory of Jesus and it has astounded me. In my deepest wound, I saw the glory of Jesus, and it has astounded me. Friends, brothers and sisters, when we take up our cross and follow Jesus, and that might include some suffering and some pain and some trials and some difficulties and some hardships, Jesus doesn't promise a comfortable life. He does promise his presence. He does promise his love. He does promise his goodness towards us. But in her deepest wound, she saw the glory of Jesus and she was astounded at it. The last thing, Find our identity as citizens of heaven. As we are followers of Jesus, where are we following Jesus to? There was a time that Jesus said, you can't follow me now, but later on you will. And the disciples were like, no, no, no Jesus, we want to follow you now. Tell us what we need to do. We want to go with you now. She said, no, 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 not now. But Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you The reason why we can't take up our cross and follow Jesus, the reason why we find it difficult when we go through trials and sufferings and and difficulties here is that our our vision is just very earthly-minded and earthly-focused. But if we could understand that Jesus is preparing a beautiful place for us, that part of our identity is that we are strangers and pilgrims here on this earth, and that we're actually citizens of the kingdom of God, citizens of that heavenly kingdom, if we keep that outlook, if we understand that part of our identity at who God has called us to be and who we are in Christ, then we can, we can understand these other points much easier, and we can live that out, we can fulfill it. How do we take up our cross and follow Jesus if at the point of death everything is is over? Then what's the point of taking up our cross and following Jesus? Well, the point is that death is not a terminal point. There is hope beyond the grave. There is hope with a life with Jesus afterwards. We make the mistake of wrapping up our identity in the pursuit of happiness in this life. We wrap up our identity in the pursuit of accomplishments for this life, in rights for this life, in pleasures of this life, instead of rooting our identity in Christ, which goes far beyond this life, which goes on to the eternity to come. And if we re- actually realize that we are citizens of heaven, that he's preparing for us something much greater, then we can follow him with our whole heart. In, in Hebrews chapter 11, speaking about the heroes of faith, here it says all these people died still believing what God had promised them they did not receive what God had promised they saw it from a distance and welcomed it and they agreed that they were just foreigners and nomads here on this life in this life They didn't receive the promises, but they still believed it. They embraced it as part of their identity because they knew that this life wasn't terminal. That It wasn't the end here, that there was time still for all the promises of God and all the blessings of God to be accomplished. Why? Because it says a couple verses later, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. See, see, Jesus says in John 15, the, the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you're not part of the world. Our, our identity is not part of the world. We live in the world and we function in the world and, and God has called us to be fruitful in the world, but we are not of the world. We are part of a heavenly city. We are, part, we are citizens of heaven. C.S. Lewis says this in Mere Christianity. I love this quote. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, most, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And there's a longing that God puts within us, a hunger that God puts within us, a hunger for him, a hunger to know him, a hunger to love him. I'm going to be satisfied by him and and this world, it's not sufficient to fulfill that. Oh, the wonderful time of being in the fullness of the glory of God and experiencing Jesus in his fullness. That's why Paul says in Colossians, he says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. For you died in this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Your real life, your real identity, the realness of who God has called you to be and who he wants you to be is in Christ. And unfortunately, we get bogged down by the things of this world. We lose perspective. We need to keep the vision and keep the focus pure. Don't let it get misaligned. Understand who God has called you to be. I want to read from you from an, from an article uh, written by John Reinhardt. He's from. Um, gospel patrons uh, on the the notes on our website, you'll find the link to this as well. And he wrote this that says, what God thinks about you. And as we end this series on identity, I just want to end with this because I want you to know what God thinks about you. And again, you can look this up later on as well, and I encourage you to look this up later on as well and to meditate on this and see who God thinks about you. This is what God thinks thinks about you. I am the creator, and you are my creation. I breathe into your nostrils the breath of life. I created you in my own image. Your eyes saw, my eyes saw your unformed substance. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I know the number of hairs on your head, and before a word is on your tongue, I know it. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are more valuable than many sparrows. I have given you dominion over all sheep and oxen and beasts of the field and birds of the air and fish of the sea. I have crowned you with glory and honor as the pinnacle and final act of the six days of creation. However, from the very beginning, you exchanged the truth about me for a lie. You worshiped and served created things rather than me, the creator. You have sinned and fallen short of my glory. Just as I said to Adam and Eve, the penalty for your sin is death. And in your sin, you were spiritually dead. You were children of wrath, living as enemies of me. You turned aside from me. You became corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. What you deserve is my righteous judgment. And yet in my great love, I gave my unique son that all who believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. While you were still hostile towards me, you were reconciled to me by the death of my son. Sin doesn't have the last word. Grace does. Now everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. You who have believed are born again. I have adopted you. You are children of God, heirs of God. You are no longer orphans. You belong to me. And I love you as a perfect father. In my eyes, you are a brand new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Sin is no longer your master, for you have died to sin and are now alive to me. You are finally free from the slavery of sin and death. You are now no con- there is now no condemnation for you. All your sins are forgiven. All your unrighteousness has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You are now righteous in my sight with the very righteousness of my perfect son. You have been saved by grace. You have been justified by faith. You are utterly secure in me. Nothing will be able to separate you from my love in Christ Jesus. No one is able to snatch you out of my hand and I will never leave you nor forsake you. You not only have a new father, but also a new family of brothers and sisters. You are now part of the people of God, and together the life you now live is by faith in my son. Look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. He is the author and perfecter of your faith. Christ is in you by my spirit, and you are in Christ. Stay close to Jesus. Abide in him. FOR YOUR LIFE IS FOUND IN HIM. TO LIVE IS CHRIST, TO DIE IS GAIN. DON'T LIVE BY YOUR OWN POWER OR UNDERSTANDING. NO, LIVE BY MY SPIRIT WITHIN YOU. REMEMBER I HAVE GIVEN YOU THE HOLY SPIRIT TO BE WITH YOU AND IN YOU. THE SPIRIT WILL GUIDE YOU INTO ALL TRUTH, HELP YOU TO OBEY ME, AND EMPOWER YOU TO DO MY WORK. As you seek me and see more of my glory, I am transforming you into the image of my son. One day you will be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet sound when Jesus appears. You will be like him because you shall see him as he is. You will be delivered from the body of death through Jesus Christ, and your dwelling place will be with me. I will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying or pain anymore. You will drink from the spring of the water of life without payment, and I myself will make you a feast of rich food and well-aged wine. You will enter my rest, inherit my kingdom I prepared for you, and step into the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. But most of all, but most of all, you will, be, you will see my face and be with me where I am. Can I ask us all to stand? And, and I want you to, to say these next lines together with me because we are representing Christ. So read together with me, therefore, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. You are no longer darkness, but light in my son. Walk as children of light. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill. I have called you, I have chosen you. You are now a saint, a servant, a steward and a soldier. You are a witness. And a worker through jesus you are victorious you have a glorious future you are a citizen of heaven you are an ambassador for my son this is how god sees you this is your identity in christ let's go out there and live to the fullness of that identity Let's ask Jesus, more of you, Jesus, and less of me. More of you to fill me and less of me. More of your will and less of my will. More of your way and less of my way. Let's sing to the Lord.